Well, it's good to be around the Word of God, isn't it, this morning, where we worship the great inhabitants of the house. The most important person is Jesus. <laughs> it's all about a person, isn't it? It's all about getting to know him, Jesus, our great Savior, Lord, and coming King. And somehow we've got to get a mindset that everything we do in life is centered around this wonderful person, that we have such a great future, don't we? We have such a blessed hope. (laughs) In the midst of hopelessness, we have this tremendous hope of eternity. I remember when I was struggling as a Christian, and I was about 40 years old, and I was really struggling with all sorts of things. And I would think, when I think back, I think I was confused about the foundation of my faith. I believed in God, I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think I was saved and everything like that. But there were a lot of things that I didn't really understand, you know. But when you begin to seek God, and you have a heart that's really crying out to God, in the midst of your difficulties, your setbacks your disappointments, all the things that can happen to you in the course of your life, when you start to draw near to God, he starts to draw near to you. And what a wonderful thing that is. Remember, Iron's father had died, and he'd left us quite a lot of books. He was a, a man, a highly intelligent man, and he had quite an arsenal of books. Her brother got some of them. And we were, I remember getting this little paperback, and it was quite sort of broke, it wasn't in very good condition. And this book, and I looked at it, and as I began to open it, I realized the Spirit of God was leading me to read this book. And it was written by a minister in Scotland, about 1600 and something, and the English was very difficult, you know. But you know, when something's difficult, if the Spirit of God is trying to get through to you, He'll get through to you. See, it's Henry used to say, it's a heart job. If he can see your heart is seeking for something, he'll put something on the table so that it's in front of you that somehow your mind is going to get renewed and you're going to get divine knowledge, inspiration from the word of God that's going to change, start to change your thinking, start to change you so that you no longer think as you did think, you now see things in the great perspective. And as I began to read this book, I began to realize there were certain things that I thought about the Word of God that were not quite right. I had departmentalized the Word of God. I was what you call a dispensationalist. I thought that certain things were not relevant today, And certain things were relevant. And suddenly, as I began to read this man, um, Boston, I began to realize the whole Word of God, 66 books, was all about a person, and it was Jesus. And that Jesus was as much in Genesis as he was in the Gospels and the Revelation. And remember, I'd I'd been taught the piano at school by by a, a, a clergyman who was... A, a, a man teaching in the school, but he also was, and he was a, what we would call a modernist. 
And he used to keep asking me these questions about the Bible. And I was thinking back to him. But what Boston showed me, that if you can't get a bird's eye view of redemption and salvation, you'll get lost in the trees. You'll get lost in all this, you know, all this nonsense and all these arguments and all these things that are going on in the church. And really, they're unimportant. Some of these things are totally unimportant. You need to keep on the main thing, don't you? Keep on the main thing. And he taught me, <clears throat> I think I've mentioned it here before, <clears throat> in some of these sessions, it was the state of the fall, the state of innocence, the state of the fall, the state of recovery, and the eternal state. And as I began to look down, and it was like, and then I read a few great message, messages by old revivalists, Welsh revivalists, and, and, and the same thought was coming out. You see, that God's plan of redemption is perfect. It, God planned this redemption before the foundation of the world. It's all planned, but you've got to get in on the plan. If you can get in on the plan, you'll make it. You will. But if you can't see the whole plan, you're going to probably miss it. You know, there's a lot of people, for instance, I was brought up in a particular denomination that didn't think that the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, was for today. They thought it's just for the Jews, right? And, of course, they've got all this millennium teaching and all this stuff, which I call stuff and nonsense. But anyway, you can, whatever you think of it, that's what you think. But I don't, I can't see, I see that every word that Jesus spoke, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, is so important. And I can see that every word that comes through the Spirit, um, inspired by the Spirit, is there to help me, to bring me up to the level that I want to be in my Christian walk. I don't want to be a pygmy. I don't want to be a spiritual dwarf. You know, I don't want to still walk around in my pull-ups. I want to be able to put my own pants on. I want to be able to feed myself. I, I, I haven't got to wait till every Sunday to give me a spoonful of something or fill my bottle for me. I want to be able to feed myself. I want to learn to cook, meditate on the word. Meditation is cooking it. Getting the ingredients together and cook the thing so when you eat it, it does you some good. Some people are starving spiritually. They don't know what's wrong with them. But they're trying to fill up on all sorts of other things out there. And it won't satisfy them. You know... You can have as much as you like of whatever it is in the world, but it never satisfies you. It's only Jesus. <laughs> it's only Jesus that can give you life, yeah. isn't it? And life more abundant. And you see, the whole problem with man is he doesn't really know what's wrong with him. <laughs> but the Bible tells him what's wrong with him. But he says, oh, that's old. I'm a modern man. I'm intellectual. Is he? Are you? <laughs> I know everything. I can work this out. Can you? Can you work it out? No, this works it out. The Word of God has got the answer to every need that I've got and you've got. 
And if you can come to this word every day, you know, as God said to Moses, with all his gifting and his ability, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You need a word from God every day. The principle of the manna is it came down every day and you had to eat it that day and the next day you couldn't eat it except on the Sabbath, I know. But, I mean, the point about it is I need my daily bread. You need your daily bread. You know, a brother who's not here this morning said some things to me last night and I said, well, if you, don't keep, if you stop eating and drinking, you're going to die spiritually. I said, inside you, there's a new man that needs to be fed. There's a new man in you, an inner man in you, that needs to be fed and watered and eat and drink. Now, some people are on bread and water, I know. They're not that, they're not that happy, these Christians, on bread and water. But I've crossed over Canaan, and in Canaan, there's honey and milk and wine, and, and you've got all the goods in Canaan. You can live in a wilderness where there's just enough but I'd rather live in Canaan where there's more than enough. <laughs> Isn't that right? You can choose where you live spiritually. I'm crossing over Jordan. You know, I went to Newark the first time. They kept singing this song. I've crossed over Jordan and the Lord has led me through. All these people dancing in the spirit. All these people falling out in the spirit. I thought, my religious brain said, this bunch, what have I come to? <laughs> I went home and my spirit was rejoicing and my brain was saying, no, no, no. <laughs> no, these people are all nuts. No. <laughs> you see, your spirit man is in tune with God, but you've got a mind. You know, there's a prayer, and I believe this is an important prayer by Paul. It's one of his shortest prayers, and it's in 1 Thessalonians Five twenty-three, and this is what it says in the authorized says the very God of peace I think this is a good prayer you can pray <laughs> the very God of peace sanctify you holy and I pray God your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you are a triune being. You've got a spirit, you've got a soul, and you've got a body. Haven't you? Now, I think many years ago, we did, we did a Bible study, I think it was in Walton, and you know all was a big bloke, isn't he? And we had the all sit on one seat and a little person sit on another seat, wherever that little person was, and a normal person sit there. Now, when you get born again, your flesh is like oral. <laughs> it's big. You know, it's big. But, and your spirit man is just born again. It's that little person next to him. <laughs> Now, as I said to them, and I say to you now, you've got to starve that big man and feed that little man, that spirit. Because otherwise, that big fat flesh man is going to sit on the new man and he won't operate very well. Yeah, it's a problem. 
You see, now, I was talking to this other brother the other day. He didn't think about spiritual growth. He thinks when he got born again, he got it all. Well, no. When you get born again, you're a child of God, and you've got to grow spiritually. Well, you know, if you've got a child, you don't feed it, it won't grow. We need to be fed. Fed. And this feeding on the word. You know, it says in the scripture that Ephraim fed on wind. Some people are feeding on wind. And all they're producing is wind. <laughs> they're just a bunch of windbags. <laughs> no, we've got to feed on the, on the solid meat. Paul said, to, Peter says to the church, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may what? Grow thereby. You've got to, we've got to grow. You know whether you are not very strong spiritually. How do you react to all sorts of things? You know, when something happens in your life, how do you react to it? Do you have the screaming abdabs and lose your cool and, you know, and you know whether you're walking by faith because what's coming out of your mouth? Your mouth will tell you how good you are, how strong you are. You know, when I was that about 14, I was reading in Boston, but I was beginning to see these things in the Word of God I've never seen before. As I've said before, I was like jelly on the plate. If something happened, I'd shake, you know. I, everything was trauma in my life, and, I was, I, I, and, and the Lord said to me, you see, if, if you can get the foundation of your life secure, then you can start to develop and grow. So God wants you to grow. I think there's a scripture. It's in um, 2 Thessalonians 1.3, and it says, Their faith groweth exceedingly. Their faith groweth exceedingly. And in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, Paul says to the Thessalonian church, which he says to us, Perfect that, perfect what is lacking in your faith. So it's possible to you to have faith at a level, at a certain level, but it can be developed. Faith is like a muscle. Faith is like everything else. You know, I remember when I played table tennis, I, was, I could beat anybody at school at table tennis and tennis. But I then went to Cheltenham at that time, which was the headquarters of the Table Tennis Association for Great Britain. All the internationals were played, table tennis in Europe were played in Cheltenham. And I went to play one of the internationals. Well, in table tennis, you go win 21 points to win. I used to win three or four out of 21. I thought I was good until I met an international. You know, they're different levels, aren't they? And God is wanting to develop your faith because... When your faith develops, it's developed by grace. You're saved through faith. But as the old Puritan would say, and Boston would say, and all that, you need to keep your graces in good repair. You know, like you keep your house in good repair. So if you find you're impatient, you need a bit more patience. So you, need, you know, if you're, you find yourself impatient, what you've got to do is develop patience. If you find yourself unthankful, you've got to, that grace, you've got, your thankfulness, you've got to be thankful. 
and you. All these different things in your life, they undergird your faith. Because it's by grace you're saved. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace. It runs on grace and faith. God's kingdom. And this is another verse I wanted to give you. It's Hebrews 12, 25. And this verse says, or 28 is it? I've got glasses on. 28, sorry. Wherefore, it says, Paul says to Hebrews, we receive in a kingdom. As Alan said last night, this is all about a kingdom. We have received a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have what? Grace. Whereby we may serve God or service to God acceptedly with reverence and godly fear. And, 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 and I was thinking, this kingdom we have, we have to have grace whereby we serve God. You know, Dr. Martin, a great preacher of last century, said, when you learn to serve God from your heart, 50% of your problems will start, will cease. It's having a servant's heart, isn't it? You know, whatever there's to do, just do it. If it's sweeping the church, well, just do it, you know, because you're serving the king. You see, this is the secret of faith. It's having a servant's heart. Paul called himself a bond slave of Christ. You know, and I was thinking of this, I thought, well, that we have a kingdom, we have grace, we have service, we have acceptable worship, and we have reverence. Five things that we need in this kingdom. And I was thinking, Lord, help me. You see, sometimes we think, oh, nobody acknowledges me. I'm just little me. Nobody knows about me. And what I do, what I don't do, what does it matter what I do? But you know that God purchased you with the blood of his son, that you're part of his body, that you're part of the church, and that God loved you and saved you and called you to his service. Yeah. He's called you to serve in his house. Yeah, but you say, I don't get any acknowledgement. No, you need acknowledgement from him. And if you be faithful in the little things and in the behind the scenes... Well, maybe God will put you out somewhere in the open. Maybe he won't. What does it matter? I'm coming to see, I just want to serve the king. I just want to walk around every day saying, thank you, Lord, for putting me into your house. Thank you, Lord, for calling me to this service. You see, it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And you're manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered to us, written not in ink, but with the spirit of living God, not in the tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. You are made an able minister. We're all called to minister. One thing Henry was big on was what we call the priest of the believer. He believed, he said, it's in you, brother. Have a go, he used to say. Come on, you can do this. And you can, because Christ is in you. And you can minister to the Lord. You can walk about and praise him. You can lift up your hands as they thank you, Lord. You've called me to serve you in your kingdom. And I'm going to serve you with grace. 
You see, once you move towards God, God supplies his grace. And his grace is his enablement. His grace is his empowerment to do what you cannot do on your own because you've got the grace of God, which is the power source of God's kingdom. And as you walk in that grace, you begin to see the glory. You begin to see the glory. Suddenly, things that you've never seen before begin to open up. And, and Peter says this, doesn't he? And, and, and I want to encourage you, as you go back, to realize who you are and what you are in Christ so that <clears throat> you, you don't get put off by what people think or what they don't think. He's, this is what he says um, in 1 Peter 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, you may grow. So if you tasted, the Lord is gracious. He says, and you, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood, to offer up what? Spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and to you therefore believe he is precious. And then verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you shall what? Show forth the praises of him that's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, I, I want to be part of that, don't you? Yep. You, you, you? It doesn't matter whether you're out there with somebody. It's what you're doing in front of your great high priest, isn't it? That's the important thing. And if you can keep this communication going the whole time between you and the Lord, you're going to grow because God, the Holy Spirit, is going to break that bread and that bread is going to feed you. And you'll come to that word each day and suddenly it will explode in your spirit and it will quicken you. It will heal you. It will deliver you. It will set you free from everything that's against you. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation that we believe in. And that's what we believe in. We believe in that. That's what we believe. And you can believe in it and receive it. And you know, Boston said, it's the state of innocence, the state of the fall, the state of recovery, and the eternal state. And I began to see that what Adam lost, we have gained now in Christ. As I said last night, it says in Genesis 3, is it, that when Adam sinned, the angel was there with the flaming sword to stop Adam going back into that glory and that presence. He lost that covering. He found himself naked and destitute. And that is natural man. He's naked, he's under a curse, and he's destitute. He has no future. He has no hope. Your hope and my hope is only in Christ. It's only in Christ. And in his destitution, the flaming sword stopped him to get into the tree of life. But we know that somebody is the tree of life. Amen. We can come to that tree of life and we can eat and we can drink and we can be changed. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus took 
the flaming sword. What a cost he took to get that veiled down, isn't it? But you and I, how many times have we failed to enter in to that place that God has given us through the blood of Jesus to find grace, mercy, and grace to help us in our time of need. You have to come. Henry was always on about this, enter in, and people didn't quite get what he was on about. But this is what he was on about. The veil is down, and you can enter in. But as we said, you're a spirit, you're a soul, and you're a body. And when Adam fell, his body took dominance of his spirit and his soul. And so he, no matter how he tried to break free from it, he was in bondage to sin and death and hell. But we've been set free through the gospel. The gospel comes and says to me, it's released you. Who shall deliver me, Paul says, from this body of death? Who shall deliver me? I thank God through our Lord Jesus Christ, because there is therefore now no condemnation to them who were in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. He took the flaming sword. He broke the chains. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he gave this liberty. But you, as, as, as Luke led last night in Galatians, you've got to stand fast in that liberty. You've got to make a stand. And this is where it comes in. And so Adam lost that glory. And it says in Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of that glory. But the good news is in Hebrews 4, it says, the purpose of the gospel is to bring many sons to glory. And so you're a spirit. But when you get born again, your spirit man gets quickened that was dead. And suddenly that spirit man has been put over your body and your soul. And you can take the dominion through the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the word of God. And you can triumph over this body. Now, I have a lot of tr trouble with my body. I don't know about you. <laughs> I, I've had all sorts of problems with me, myself, and I. <laughs> me, myself, and I have been a real problem. <laughs> I don't need to look at anybody else. <laughs> it's been a journey. I said to Paul last night, it's taken me a long time to see some of these things. I think, where have I been? <laughs> Why has it taken me so long? But some of us, we, we surrender, like Alan said. Some people can surrender. Well, I wasn't into that surrendering business. I didn't like that word surrender. My flesh did not like that word surrender. <laughs> I couldn't stand that word. I used to think, what are they singing this song, I Surrender All? I thought, well, I'm not surrendering all. I, I want my bit. <laughs> I like this bit of flesh on the quiet. <laughs> but God's got a way. <laughs> He's got a way of dealing with your flesh. And some of the stuff I've been through has been very painful. <laughs> very painful. I won't bore you with it. You've got enough of your own problems. 
Yeah. And, and then slowly you come to the place and you say, Lord, you were right the whole time. Why am I so stupid? What is wrong with me? It's like, it's Romans 7, isn't it? We're all in Romans 7. Every one of us. You know, they argue about whether it was Paul when he was unregenerate or regenerate. No, it's just you and me. It's just man in the making. It's just being sanctified and set apart from sin. You know, Thessalonians 1 and 2 is all about sanctification, really, when you work it out. And we're in this process of being changed. And God has a job with some of us worse than others. You know, Isaac, he just rested in all the promise, didn't he? Isaac, don't read any problem with Isaac. His wife turned up from somewhere. He, you know, he just, and, and it was wonderful. He said, I need a wife. And he just turned up, and there she came. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then he had all this inheritance. He never had to do much, did he? You know, he just lived in father's house, and it was all wonderful until he had two boys. <laughs> and one was Esau, and one was Jacob. <laughs> well, we won't talk about Isaac too much. But then there's Jacob. Well, he, you know, he's a completely another story, isn't he, Jacob? He was what you call a wheeler and a dealer, wasn't he? Now, some of us are like Isaac, some of us are like Jacob, aren't we? Isaac had his problems, mine, and ja- but Jacob had a lot of problems. <laughs> but suddenly he met God. And as I said last night, you know, the Holy Spirit said to me about five, four, five weeks ago, do you know that the Holy of Holies is in you? I said, well, I sort of knew, (laughs) but I'm beginning to see, for me, what a transforming thought that is. What a completely transforming thought that is. Because, you know, I've studied the Word of God for a long time, and I know the fuss, I know the power. I know the, the cost of getting the glory back that Adam lost. I know the price that was paid. I know that when the veil, the first tabernacle was built with Moses, you remember, and those, the priests went in there, they messed it up. And so God said, once a year and no more. Once a year and no more. And you think about it, but when Jesus cried his finish on the cross, the veil came down. What is Hebrews all about? It's all about access into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And the Lord said to me, I you need to change the way you think. You need to understand what I have purchased for your redemption. You need to appreciate what it means that you have been quickened, that you have been changed, that you are a new person. You are a completely new person. You're born of God. 
As Leslie said last night, the first Adam was a living soul. He wasn't like the new creation, the last Adam Christ. This last Adam Christ is a completely new creation. He's born of God. We are born of the Spirit. Let me read you what Paul says in some of these scriptures here. He says, um, Hallelujah. It's wonderful. He says, The first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The Amplified says, The first man, Adam, became a living soul, being an individual personality. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit, restoring the dead to life. It restores the dead to life. Verse 46, but it is not the spiritual life which came first, but the physical and then the spiritual. Verse 47, the first man was from out of earth, made of dust or earthly minded, but the second man is the Lord from heaven, out of heaven. Now those who are made out of dust are like him who was the first made out of dust. And as is the man from heaven, so are those who are of heaven. You're born of God. You're of heaven. You've got to get to know this though, haven't you? Because you walk in a world that's just earthly minded. Everything for me and everything for me. But we belong to heaven. Our home is in heaven. Zion is coming, is in heaven. Hebrews 12. You belong to a heavenly company. You're connected to heaven. You've got to get this mind renewed in your mind so that your soul realm, it doesn't dwell upon this, it dwells on heaven. Because in that kingdom, everything is in that kingdom that you need to live on this earth. The riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints, you and me, in light, come becomes ours when we tap into heaven. You think of David, a humble shepherd boy. He got called to God. He got anointed. He got blessed. And he had so much wealth. By the time he died, he could build the most expensive building that's ever been built in this world. I think Julia once told us the amount of gold, the amount of cilia. It was in billions. That's the wealth of heaven that's available to you. It's a wealth that comes down. It's wonderful. You just have to get connected. You just have to get your mind renewed. You just have to dwell on these scriptures that Paul said. No one he said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellent power may be of God and not of us. That God has chosen you, chosen humble little me. And put this treasure inside of me. I think it's wonderful. No wonder I can rejoice. No wonder I can praise God. Because my eyes have been opened. I can see Jesus. I can see the power of his name. I can see the coming king. I can see the heavenly Jerusalem that John saw in Revelation. John was taken to the book of 
and he was taken up into heaven. He said the glory of heaven. He saw the new Jerusalem. He saw the new heaven and the new earth. He saw everything that was coming. He saw the glorified Christ. They tried to boil him. That's a miracle. If you put a man in boiling oil and he doesn't boil, that is a miracle. They couldn't boil him in boiling oil. (laughs) Think about it. Why? Because God had a purpose to give him the book of Revelation. His time wasn't finished. And if you're on the program of God, you will never go before your time. If you're doing service to God, you'll live here until your time comes for you to go because you're doing what God wants you to do. Isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? We're called to serve the king. And you're called to serve the king. I must be faithful in the little things that God has given me. And if I'll be faithful, God is no man's debtor. God will reward you openly. He will. But will you do your spiritual service? As I said last night, will you fill your water pot? Will you fill it? Because when it comes out, it comes out like wine. It comes out like wine. When you get a bit of the wine, everything changes. It's intoxicating. It's joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. It's tremendous. It is. It's joy, unspeakable. You feel like you're floating on air. You feel like this is tremendous. And that's what God wants to give you. He says, he wants to give us this love, joy, and peace. You know, Henry used to have these great big round things. I got one in my summer house, an old one, with joy on it. And another one with peace on it. And that's what we need. And you know, my denomination got very annoyed about him. They said all sorts of things about him. Yeah, but I tell you what Paul said about this. I'll read you in Colossians what Paul says about this. It's very strange, you know. I thought I've sat in this church for a long time and never felt nothing like this. And these people are criticizing this that I've been looking for. I say, what kind of people are these? Yeah, what kind of people are these? Yeah. What kind of people are these? I tell you, we have got to wake up and we've got to see where the... where. Where the where the the tremendous thing is, Hallelujah! We you know there's a problem, isn't it? That you know what the natural man thinks is orderly and good is not the spiritual, not necessarily spiritual. No. You know, like, like, you need to have a good drink. You know, we need to have a good feed. God is into feasting. God loves feasting. He loves it. He, 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 wherever Jesus went, there was a feast. Didn't feed one person, 5,000 people, 4,000 people. He, could, he was into feasting in a big way, isn't he? And when in the resurrection, he didn't say to them, you cook me breakfast, he cooked them breakfast. And this is Jesus. Yeah, he cooked them breakfast. Jesus knows how to lay it on. He's a wonderful high priest. And that's why in Father's house, there is no sorrow. No, 
There's no sorrow in Father's house. Why can't I find this scripture? I can't. I, oh, yeah, here it is. No, I, 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 maybe it's in Philippians. Oh, yes, it's in Philippians, sorry. Philippians 3. Now, listen to this statement by Paul. Beware of dogs. Well, have you met any dogs? Yeah. Yeah? I bet a few. Beware of evil workers. And then this statement, beware of the concision. Yeah. We've got quite a lot of them about. The concision. They're legalists. Aren't they? They're nitpickers. Always looking for something, you know, something wrong here, something wrong there. The concision. He says, but we are the circumcision. Who what? Worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no what? Confidence in the flesh. It's this flesh again. It's this Esau again. Esau must have been a magnificent-looking bloke because Isaac was really taken with him. But he was fleshly. He was carnal. And despite all Jacob's... didn't look so good, he had one eye, and that was on the blessing. And that's what you must have. One eye is on the blessing. And this is what I want to come to, and it's in Galatians. And it's in Galatians 3. And this is what Paul says. I can find Galatians. Oh, yes, it's still here, yeah. Yeah, it's still here. How are we doing for time? Oh, yeah. Galatians. It said, and this is what it, Paul says in Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, who bewitched you that you should obey the truth before eyes Jesus Christ ever set forth? Only learned you, received you the Spirit by how? The works of the law, the nitpickers, the concision. No, you didn't. You received it, or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect of the flesh? He that ministered to the Spirit and worketh miracles, did he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God is accounted him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are faith are the same as the children of Abraham. And then you read down here and it talks about Abraham and it says, Christ, in 13, has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, we're written, cursed everyone that hangeth on the tree, that what? the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, this is the important thing, isn't it? And then he goes on and he says here in, in chapter, chapter 4, there's two sons. And the, the reality of it is that you've got two sorts of people in the church. (laughs) The concision, who have confidence in the flesh, is all performance, is not spiritual. But we have not got confidence in the flesh. We've got confidence in the spirit. Do you know it's possible to start in the spirit and end up in the flesh? It is. I've seen a lot of it. Hasn't it? 
And this is what the Galatian epistle is all about. These Galatians have started well, but now they were putting a lot of emphasis on outward fleshly things when it should be spiritual. And this is a challenge for us. And that's why I say to you, if you can realize that the holiest of all is in you, you'd walk differently. You'd talk differently. You'd think differently. Why? Because you realize that you've got the most precious thing in the whole world, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. And this is what he says. Well, in 2 Corinthians 6, he says as well, in, in the end he says, what concord in 15 hath Christ with Belial? Or what party believe in infer? What agreement at the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. Be separate. Touch not the unclean thing, and I receive you. I'll be a father, and you shall be my sons and daughters. Yeah, read 1 Corinthians 6. And it's a similar sort of, similar sort of scripture again. And this is what he says. Know you not, in 1 Corinthians 6, 14, that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I take the members of Christ and make them a members of a harlot? God forbid. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. He talks about fleshly behavior. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You are bought with a price, Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. There's the secret. If the holiest of holies is in you, that means that you are a complete temple. Well, if you've got a vision of the temple, it had an outer court, it had the holy place, and it had the holiest. And you are a spirit, the holiest place. You are a soul, that's the holy place. And you are, you are a body which is the outer court. That's why after Paul has said all that in Romans, justification, sanctification, glorification, theodicy, sonship, inheritance, heirs, joint heirs. It talks about, uh, about um, dispensationalism, not dispensationalism, it talks about... Um, uh, uh, you know, about all these things, about election and predestination, some things difficult for us to teach on, which uh, I never attempted <laughs> to yet. But all these things, and he comes to Romans 12, and he says this, at the end of it all, he says, he said, well, what does he say in Romans 12, 1? This is what he says, isn't it? I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present what? Your bodies. A living sacrifice. Yeah. Holy, accepting of God, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You are a temple. Mm. You present your body in the outer court as a living sacrifice. You come in the soul 
and you get your mind renewed and then you enter the presence of God. Do you know, the Lord said to me, and you know, God is patient with us, isn't he? He's patient with all of us. He knows we're in a state of development. And it probably, you can be grieving the spirit and it's stopping you getting into the holiest. This is the way I see it. I don't know whether you can understand what I'm saying. Because it's only in the holiest that you're going to get the kind of word that you need in your life to sustain you, to go through what you've got to go through. Understand? You're going to meet opposition. The enemy, you know, maybe we'll get into Ephesians 6 sometime, but you, 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 the enemy has got an arsenal. He's a real person. He doesn't like you because you're a child of God. Just as the world doesn't like the Jews at the moment. It's like a, an outward thing of us spiritually in Christ. He's out to try and get us. But if you can keep that functioning of the holiest of all, that inner place, that secret place in your life, no weapon that's formed against you will prosper. Come on. There's a big secret here. And what it does for me is, when I'm confronted with something... And I see that who I am in Christ, and I put that up against that, and it doesn't marry up with this word, no way. I cast it away. Casting down every imagination, every thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Why? Because I know I have to keep my temple functioning. You have to keep your tabernacle functioning. As we said before, you have to keep daily walking and sacrificing yourself. And, and, and it's not going to be easy. It's because it requires discipline. We are disciples of Christ. And God wants you to grow. And he wants me to grow. And he wants me to develop. So when you get strong, when fear attacks you, you hit it back straight away. You don't give in to fear. When doubt comes against you, you don't put up with it. When he comes against your body... You say, you know right on my body. I'm the temple of God. I'm purchased by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has paid a big price. You can't put something on my body because I belong to the body of Christ. Do you understand? We've got to get uh, to understand what we are, who we are, and what Christ has done for us, and, and stand up as it were. You see, as we said about David, why was David so successful? I know he failed on one thing. People keep talking about it, but he, he majored on a lot of other stuff. As we said last night, Psalm 26, he saveth his anointed. What did David do? He made sure he stayed under the anointing. Yeah. And if you want to stay under the anointing, you have to keep your holy place functioning in your life. Because that anointing will save you. It will save you in the day of battle. Because in the day of battle, the angels of God are going to be with you. The Lord of hosts is going to be with you. And you're going to win every war. Why? Because we're in a battle. We are. We're in a fierce battle. But we can win. We can win. The anointing is the most important thing you have in your life. This is Pentecost Sunday, yesterday. We need the Holy Ghost and fire. We need to be continually anointed with fresh oil. We need to keep our... There had to be oil in, those, in that holy place. There had to be bread on that table. There had to be worship 
and incense. And it's a progression in your life where suddenly you're in the holiest of all. Why? Because you're functioning. The whole thing is functioning in your life. You've suddenly got an awareness of who you are, what you are. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost and Christ dwells in you. And your life is not all about this. It's all about him. And Jesus said, if you seek first this kingdom and his righteousness, God is going to add everything you need in your life. It's supernatural. This birth we've got is supernatural. This grace we've got is supernatural. <laughs> Where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. That's supernatural. It can break the chains. It can break every link that you had. You see, your flesh will say to you, your flesh has said to me, oh, you can have that little chain of sin. Nothing much wrong with that. Because the rest of you are pretty good on the whole. But you've got this one little chain of sin that you think is quite all right for you to have a little indulgence in now and again. But the unfortunate thing is, that link is on a long chain. It's on a long chain. And you can't see what the long chain because it's in grimy, stinking water. Because every sin comes out of grimy, stinky places. So when you take hold of that one sin, a whole lot more come out with it. Mm. And you don't realize what you've got yourself into. You need to keep the holiest functioning so you never take hold of whatever little chain of sin ever. You don't meddle with it. You don't think about it. You don't talk about it. Why? Because you understand who you are. Isn't that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Satan's subtle. He knows your weakness. He knows my weakness. He thinks if I can get him to take hold of that. You know, Jesus said a person can get delivered of a demon and get cleansed, but if he doesn't get filled with the Spirit, he'll go around and find seven more demons and fill the whole house with them. And that's happened to a lot of people. No, we're, we, we, you know, this is a kingdom. We've received a kingdom which cannot be moved because we've been given grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. But I have to serve God acceptably to be part of this kingdom. I can't do as I like. As Alan and I said last night, you've got to surrender. And I find, I find that extremely difficult. But God has put pressure on me. And he's put the screw on me until you surrender. And what a wonderful thing it is to surrender. What a wonderful thing to have the Jesus as Lord of your life. To be free from bondage. To set free from fear, from habits, from things that are enslaving God's people. I said to you before, many of God's people are living in Egypt today, enslaved in something. Some of them are living in a wilderness of some sort. They got this wilderness, Joyce Meyer calls it a wilderness mentality, you know. But some of us can live in Canaan. I want to live in Canaan, don't you? Do you want to live in Canaan? Yeah. It's a wonderful place to live because it's heaven on earth. You can have a little bit of heaven on earth. Paul calls it a foretaste. 
the Holy Spirit is, gives, is sealed you and he's given you a foretaste of that glory divine. He's given you a foretaste of it. This is what it says, um, uh, a foretaste of glory divine. This new man, he says in Ephesians, he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated unto adoption of children by Christ Jesus according to the good pleasure of his will. So I'm blessed. Are you blessed? I'm blessed. I'm predestined. I'm adopted. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I've been given wisdom and knowledge and I've got an inheritance, the purpose, and I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is what? Paul said, the earnest of our inheritance. Or the Amplified says, the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, the first fruits, the pledge, the foretaste, the down payment of my inheritance to the anticipation of its full redemption and are acquiring complete possession of it. Why? To the praise of his glory. I'm on my way. Are you on your way? We used to sing, I'm on my way to the glory land. (laughs) It's wonderful, isn't it? Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. I've said enough. (laughs) You can do it, can't you? You can go home and you can do this, can't you? You can say, I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. Christ lives in me. He's my great high priest. And I can enter in each day. And I can find mercy and grace to help in time of need. What is your need? Jesus can meet your need. Whatever your need is, he can meet it. But you have to enter in. You have to enter in. Henry was always saying, he's right, you've got to enter in. (laughs) He won't get it staying outside. You've got to enter in. Praise the Lord. We thank you, Lord, this morning for your goodness and your mercy and your loving kindness that you've given us your word, Lord. Your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides us under the spirit and soul and marrow and tents and everything. So we see Jesus and not all the flesh and all this stuff around us. We see Jesus. Lord, we pray for your people that they will be quickened and inspired and lifted up and they take hold of their inheritance and run with it to be a blessing so they might bless others. In Jesus' name, amen.